So uh, Jeff mentioned right at the start of the service, if you weren't uh, with us, or if you were with us last week on Easter, we started this new series um, called Restored to Wonder. And I think it will be helpful, we'll probably do this most uh, weeks, at least the first few weeks, kind of giving the underlying con- convictions uh, of this series and, and kind of what is undergirding um, what we'll be thinking about and looking at in the scriptures together. So there are three of them. And the first is that we are living in what we're calling an age of alienation, where people are increasingly feeling a sense of displacement and disconnection, disconnection from God, disconnection from the church, disconnection from one another, from community. And this alienation at its root is about a certain posture toward reality, a way that we live toward the world, a posture that has us at the center. Second conviction, um, the salvation that God has accomplished in Jesus through his incarnation, his death, his life, his death, his resurrection. God is not rescuing us from this world, but is meaning to bring restoration within this world. He is reconciling us within the relationships that we were meant for, that we were created for. He is seeking to remake us into true humanity. He promises to renew all creation. And in all of this, restoring us to the posture toward reality that we were meant for, that we're going to continually be speaking of as being restored to wonder. And the third conviction, the way to live as God's redeemed creatures, his children, is to learn to walk in this way of wonder, this way of awe and praise and love and gratitude, and yet, this is not going to be easy. It's not going to come natural because of the structures of our society and the way of life in our modern world uh, that's deeply resistant to it. But yet, this is the way of freedom. So what I'd like to do this morning is consider these texts that that we just read, uh, which tell us really what, what has gone wrong, what we were made for, and what God is seeking to restore us to in Jesus. And so we're gonna think about those three things. First, the problem of alienation. Second, the wonder we were made for. And then third, how Jesus is restoring us to wonder. So the problem of alienation. When, when we're thinking about alienation in, in terms of biblical categories, we're thinking about sin and alienation being a, a result of, of sin. Sin destroys wholeness. Wholeness in yourself, we could say psychological wholeness. Uh, Relational or interpersonal wholeness. Wholeness uh, in terms of how we relate to the world in which we live. Wholeness in terms of our relationship with God. And you don't have to like the word sin or you don't even have to believe in sin to be able to feel in your body and in your life that there is this brokenness, that things are not the way it's supposed to be. I think our wider culture, if we think about sin at all, you know, maybe someone would define it as breaking divine rules or divine commands. If you're familiar with the Genesis 3 narrative that we just read and you've thought about it much, you might think a little bit deeper about sin. You might think about sin as humanity basically saying to God, we don't want you to rule over us. We want to be our own gods. 
And I think it's pretty easy to look at places in our world and in our own lives where we see that dynamic at work. But in addition to this, something that I feel like I've just really begun to appreciate probably in the last six months as we have a, as a staff have been talking about this and we've been reading some books about this, another angle, another vantage point to understand what is happening in the garden in Genesis 3, something that many of us do on a regular basis and in that we show that we're living in this very story is this. When Adam and Eve take of the fruit and they eat, they're rejecting their status as creatures. They're saying, we don't want to be creatures. We don't want to be dependent on God. We want to be like God. And one of the ways that we participate in and experience this aspect of alienation is by trying to live as people without limits. Creatures, by definition, are dependent. They are needy. They are limited. We're limited by time and space. We can't be everywhere for everyone. We're limited by ability. You know, there are certain things that we might be good at, but other things that we're really not good at. Uh, we're limited by understanding. We, we can't fully understand all things and make sense of them. We need rest. We need relationships. We need love. We are dependent on others. We're dependent on God. We're creatures and creatures are limited. But one of the ways that humanity lives into that story of alienation is by suppressing our very real dependence on God and seeking to live like God, seeking to be God-like in a way that we were never meant to be. And while this feature of human existence is something that we can trace all the way back to the garden, there's a sense in which in our modern age, because of a whole host of reasons, but one just being technology, we can more and more kind of live into this facade, into this false reality of almost godlikeness. Like, think about it, right? You can be kind of like God, create out of nothing, create by verbal fiat, by saying, let there be Chipotle. And with a click of a button, Chipotle shows up out of nowhere. Or let there be new headphones and Amazon drops off a package before the day's even over. Or Alexa, let it be 71 degrees and it's good. And we say, this is very good. We can be almost omniscient. We can almost know all things. Just Google it. Why even read a book? Just Google it. We can be almost omnipresent, whether we're thinking social media or Zoom or you know, extremely fa fast flights that can take us halfway around the world in a day or less. Technology has allowed us to do things faster and faster, and so we just keep living faster and faster and faster. Jeff mentioned this last week, but instead of writing letters or making phone calls, we can, we can text and we can email and we can post on the Slack or any of those things. But with that time that we've saved, it's not like we've created margin and space for wonder and awe and to live before God as creatures, but we just keep doing more and adding more. And so that leaves us more stressed, more anxious, more depressed. All of this has a cost. 
There's a cost to the never-ending information that we try to absorb, probably sometimes to feel like we have control. I know what's going on in the world, so I can feel like I have control. I see what the stock market is doing, and so I have a sense that I have control. There's a cost to the breakneck speed of life where we have no margin and we just keep going and going and going. There's a cost to our relationships, cost to our relationship with God, our relationship with this world, with our own selves. In the last week, I just want you to think about your week. In the last week, have you felt guilt or a sense of shame, like you're not enough or you've not done enough? You've not studied enough. You've not worked enough. And now the pressure is building. You can feel the whatever you had to do last week, you've now taken half of those things and they're on this week plus what you thought you were going to do this week. Do you feel like you're not enough with friends or your spouse or your kids? Or maybe you've neglected your body through what you've chosen to eat or sleep you've neglected. You've not done enough for God. You've not prayed enough. You've not read enough. You've not ministered enough. You've not served enough. Do you ever feel like I feel that life is like walking on this tightrope and on the one hand, there's, you lean off one way and it's just burnout from doing way too much and then on the other side, it's feeling like I've neglected some good that I really should be doing and investing in. And the only way is to just walk this stress-filled, tightrope existence. My guess would be that even if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, or people that we know that we're friends with, that we all feel a sense of guilt in the western suburbs. And primarily, it's, it's through this alienation. It's through this we are not enough. We can't do enough. If you're a fan of Disney movies uh, or you have young kids in your life, you know, whether it's your kids or, or friends' kids or family, uh, chances are you're probably familiar with the movie Encanto. Um, no, we're not talking about Bruno this morning. Um, one of the characters named Luisa, who has this superpower strength, she sings a song called Surface Pressure, and I'm not going to sing it to you, but I'm going to quote some of the lyrics. Listen, listen to these lyrics. I'm the strong one. I'm not nervous. I'm as tough as the crust of the earth is. I move mountains. I move churches. And I glow because I know what my worth is. But under the surface, I feel berserk as a tightrope walker in a three-ring circus. Under the surface, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. Throughout the song, she keeps asking this question, who am I? Who am I if I don't have what it takes? Who am I if I can't lift and carry it all? Pressure like a drip, drip, drip that'll never stop. Who am I if I don't have what it takes? No cracks, no breaks, no mistakes, no pressure. Do you see that in your life? Do you see it in the lives of your kids or youth or young people in general? When Aaron and I lived uh, out in um, Philadelphia from 2012 to 2015, I was involved in campus ministry uh, at Penn in West Philly, University of Pennsylvania, Ivy League school. And during our time there, there was a period of uh, just over a year from 2013 to 2014 where six uh, students at Penn uh, took their own lives. 
and the university established a task force uh, whose purpose it was to study mental health on campus and try to figure out what was going on. And this report came back in 2015 citing a term called penface, which is defined as the practice of acting happy and self-assured even when sad or stressed. Penface comes from the perception that one has to be perfect in every academic, co-curricular, and social endeavor. I didn't know any of the students who took their lives, but all of the students connected to our ministry were intimately and, and immediately knew that term and felt it and had experienced it. It was part of that culture of that school. Outwardly look awesome, capable, together, confident, perfect, even if inside you are dying. And I would say during the five years that I spent at the University of Delaware, though it wasn't an Ivy League school and though they didn't call it Delaware Face, every student that I met felt that kind of pressure at some point in their lives. And, and often it was from some really well-intentioned parents or coaches or teachers that had said things to them like, you can be anything, you can do anything. And then before me, we're having coffee or something, they just start crying and they say, what if I don't know what to do? Or what if I know what to do, but I just can't and I fail? And this is a really deeply rooted problem because it's ingrained in our schedules and before our kids and the kids in our communities even have the ability to probably ask the question, why are we living at this speed and is this good? It's ingrained into bodies through rituals of the school schedule, you know, whatever that is, 7.30 or 8 to 3, followed by the extracurriculars, followed by running home to take a shower and cram some food, followed by studying till 10, 11, or 12 at night to crash into bed, to rinse and repeat and do it over and over and over and over and over again. And this life of alienation that we're talking about, pushing beyond our limits as creatures, it keeps us from the second thing that I want us to look at and think about is this way of wonder, this way that we were made for that we see in Genesis 1 and 2 and Psalm 8. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, that language of image and likeness tells us that we were made to be God's royal children, his royal sons and daughters, and after everything had been made and put in order, God makes humanity the pinnacle of creation, his royal sons and daughters to share his reign and rule. And as God's children, we were made to reflect, right? That, I mean, that's what image language is telling us. Like, we were made to reflect. And this reinforces what we've already been talking about so far and what scripture says everywhere. We are dependent, an image can't be an image without the original. We were made as God's children to reflect him, therefore to be oriented to him, to behold him, to know him, which is to say to commune with him, to love him, to be loved by him. Genesis 2, 7. Think about the picture here. The first human being is formed and shaped by God and then in wondrous intimacy, God, in a sense, comes face-to-face -face contact, breathes by the Spirit, life into the first human being. And what would that first awakened 
experience of life be? Be seeing the face of God. This is the, the glory and the blessedness of being made in God's image. It's what we were meant to participate in, the life of God, to share in his life, to reflect his character and his beauty. And Psalm 8 as well, Psalm 8's this wonderful picture and it, because it's reflecting back on creation, but at the same time, because the fall has happened, it's holding out hope that God has not given up on his creation or humanity. Psalm 8 reminds us of this way of wonder. And I just want you to notice it's a life that is bracketed, enveloped by the praise of God. God means for us to live toward him in this posture of wonder and praise. O oh, Yahweh, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's what's meant to bracket our days and our experience we're invited to live toward God in this way of wonder, to live in peace, free from anxiety and stress, with this fundamental experience that life is something that has been graciously given to us. Notice the rest of the psalm. We, we see the language, verse 3, for example, your heavens, the work of your fingers, this relationship with God even changes the way that we relate to the world because it's not just people or stuff, but it's, it's what belongs to God. And it's this posture where we can say in awe and wonder at the center of the psalm, what is man, what is humanity, who am I that you care for me, that you think about me? And if the Bible is right, if this is actually who all of us are, then this way of wonder, we were talking about this at the office this week a little bit, this way of wonder is not something for people who like artsy language or who like to feel things in their feelings. And for those who don't like to do that, you know, wonder's not for you. If this is who we are, then this way of wonder is not a luxury. It's not something for only a certain group of people. This is something we can't live without. Um, Rene Spitz was a, a 20, 20th century psychoanalyst who studied uh, and researched in the area of child development. And one of his studies was conducted in a South American orphanage. This was in the 1940s. Spitz observed and recorded what happened to 97 children who were deprived of emotional and physical contact with others. So at this, this orphanage, there, there was a lack of funds and there wasn't enough staff to, to, you know, hold and cuddle and spend all that quality time with the children. There was, you know, enough to feed and, and bathe and change diapers. But without that personal connection, without that connection with another person outside, after three months, the children started to show signs of abnormality. Besides a loss of appetite and not being able to sleep, many of them lay with this vacant expression, this sort of deadness in their eyes. I think it was about five months uh, in, into the study, it became <clears throat> even more serious. The children lay whimpering with twisted and troubled faces. And when a doctor or a nurse would pick them up, they would scream in terror. 27, almost one-third of the children died in that first year, not because they lacked food or because they lacked health care. 
They died because they didn't have love. Only 21 survived and most suffered severe psychological damage. You and I need the love of God and the wonder of God in our lives, just like a child needs the secure attachment and love of their parent. Think about what we've been designed for. The face of God in intimate closeness, living as his creatures, dependent upon him. And thirdly, this, this way of wonder, this, this is what God is determined to restore us to in and through Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus didn't just drop from heaven as a fully formed human being to die on the cross for our sins. What else is God saying to us in the incarnation and birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, as well as the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, but that he is for his creation? Why else would the eternal son be born into this world if not to affirm God's original design for human life and his faithfulness to his creation? Right, think about it, why would Jesus be born and carried around by Mary and Joseph, why grow up and go through life as a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, a 10-year-old, go through puberty? Why all of those years working, sleeping, eating, talking, laughing? Why do this if God is not committed to his creation and his creatures. Though he is the son of God, according to his human nature, Jesus lived a life of limits. He didn't heal everyone. He didn't preach and teach to everyone. He couldn't be everywhere for everyone. He got tired and he had to rest. And yet the scriptures tell us he lived a fully human life. He didn't miss out on anything though he lived this life of limits, fully alive to God, loving God, trusting God, and trusting himself to God, present with others and loving others, the broken, the hurting, the confused, and even his enemies. We often seek to live limitless, to transcend our creatureliness, often so that we can feel in control and we don't have to trust God, but Jesus submitted himself to his father and entrusted himself to God's plan of redemption, even when that meant death on a cross. The infinite taking on finite, vulnerable humanity, nails piercing flesh and skin, lungs struggling to breathe, and then death. And God raising him from the dead, what is he saying but yes? to his creation and his purpose to restore us to this way of wonder. That we would behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus and that we would come again to experience life as his children, the life that we're meant for, the life of Psalm 8, the life of Genesis 1 and 2. If you know something of the wonder of loving a child, a, a little baby, you know something of the wonder that God means to restore to you. I'm reminded uh, in thinking about this this week, when our second child, Abby, was born, 
many of you know, if, if you've been around infants, for the first six weeks, they don't do a whole lot. A lot of sleeping, eating, sleeping, eating, sleeping. There's not a ton of expression. There's not a ton of interaction. But during that whole time, those six weeks, Aaron and I, and even big brother Liam at the time, we're talking to Abby. We're smiling at her. We're saying, we love you, Abby girl. We're, you know. And then like six weeks in, she cracks the smile. And it's a beautiful picture of what we're meant for. This love that, that you and I cannot conjure up in ourselves, but that we must be gazed on by the face of God and have it drawn out of us in praise and glory and wonder. And because the speed of life and so many other things threaten to basically keep that from happening, what I want to suggest is this week you might try something. You might try um, this practice of prayerful reflection. There are three parts to this. If you, if you want to jot this down or just mentally note it, what I'd like to invite you to is at the end of your day, after dinner, right before bed, whenever is a good time for you, maybe four or five minutes, prayerful reflection. First, think about your day. Reflect on what has happened. Listen to how you're feeling about your day. Are you feeling encouraged and excited and full of praise? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling angry? Stressed? Second, Consider especially any places where you feel stressed or anxious, any feelings of guilt about what you didn't get done, how you couldn't do it all, how you're not enough. Slow down and feel that. And then three, seek to listen to God's voice. Perhaps through these texts that we've looked at, perhaps through one of the songs that we're going to sing, I love uh, the last song that we're going to sing. There's a verse where we're going to sing together. Before my birth, you composed my frame. You gazed in my eyes and knew my name. You wrote with love each one of my days. In you, O Lord, I am found. Listen to God's voice telling you, your limitations are not part of the fall. Your limitations aren't there because there's something wrong with you. I made you. I made you to be a creature. I made you to be my dependent child. I made you to need me and to live this life of wonder, of awe, of resting in my love, of entrusting yourself to me. And then just in stillness and quiet before God, rest in and receive his love to you. Let me invite us even now to turn to a time of prayer, a time to honestly confess before God those places where we have sinned, where we have resisted his loving purpose for our lives, a time to ask for his help. We'll spend a few minutes doing that and, and then I'll lead us in prayer.
Father in heaven, you know uh, where each one of us are this morning with you. You see right through us. You see every part of us. And so we pray uh, that you would help us wherever we are to draw near to you. We pray that you would lead us out of the experience that is so normal of alienation from you and from ourselves and from life in this world as you've created it to be. And we pray that in and through Jesus and through beholding the glory of Christ by the Spirit's work in our hearts, we would increasingly be restored to this place of awe and wonder and rejoicing in you. Lord, do this, uh, we pray, for the honor and glory of Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.